0: Hello and welcome to the See For Yourself podcast, the podcast of wild speculation and movie examination. Uh, Basically, we are just going to pick a film that uh, one of the podcast members at the very least has not seen. Uh, We're going to talk about it for a couple of minutes about what we think might be in the movie, the things that we're expecting, the the things that we're hoping not to see. We're going to stop the podcast. Go watch the film and immediately come right back and talk about all the things that we did or did not see, the things uh, that we were disappointed by, and the things that we were really excited about. Uh, this week, uh, we've got me, Orangello himself, and uh, my dear compatriot... Uh, so Pirate Steve. Pirate Never Steve. Never always. Uh, also a, a connoisseur of uh, oranges, because scurvy's terrible. Nobody... It, it is. Yeah. We're going to go ahead and move into the movie. Uh, The movie for this podcast episode is going to be Frank. Uh, It is a favorite movie of mine. I love it a lot more than my own life. Um, Probably most things. Uh, It's a a really, really good movie. I've written about this uh, a little bit in my spare time, and I think once for a college class. But um, I'll just go ahead and get into the explanation of the film as IMDb uh, provides it, which states, Frank is a movie about John, a young wannabe musician, discovers he's bitten off more than he can chew when he joins an eccentric pop band led by the mysterious and enigmatic Frank. And that is all that we get from the plot synopsis for uh, uh, IMDb. And as someone who has seen the movie in its entirety, that's probably about as good as you can really do, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, So we'll move into the bit uh, here where we just talk about what you think is going to be in the movie what you're you know what you're thinking about it uh i know you saw the cover there and it's kind of got that the the claymation looking
1: face or whatever does that play into it at all absolutely yeah all right i I was wondering if that was going to be a thing because sort of like when we watched um that movie about skiing at the place oh okay yeah, yeah, yeah. um, and how they would cut into the claymation animations for like really no reason at all uh it was fun better off dead
0: yes it was better off dead can I, get a,
1: can I get a current picture of John Cusack, just,
0: you know, for my own mental... For your eyeballs, yes. Yeah. Let's go over to his images and get a nice current one. That looks pretty current. That's you no. Know. He doesn't look bad. Yeah, he's a good-looking dude. He was a leading man wow, for a Wow, he's aged really well. Yeah. This is
1: probably the worst image of him, and he just looks like a regular dude. Yeah. No, I was about to say, what, uh...
0: Certifiably old! He's no Nick Cage, but... <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I would say he is kind of close to Nick Cage in terms of his ability to age and still look very graceful. Um, but yeah, so back back to this movie thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so so you're, you're thinking it's going to be like that where it cuts into this sort of claymation style?
1: Yeah, for, for either ridiculousness or to, or to push their point. Or um, I was also, uh, just the blurb kind of reminded me in its vagueness of, oh, there was a musical about the Beatles
0: Across the universe. Across the universe. Um, I was kind of hoping it would be one of these things that I haven't. Yes, because
1: that's the one that I remember. I remember that um, Apple. Well, it's a strawberry, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's kind of also shaped like a heart. Yeah, which strawberries are shaped like hearts a little bit. Um,
1: but I remember. I remember as I watched that, I knew it was going to be like a review of, of Beatles, basically a, a rundown of Beatles songs and. Uh, but the way that they played across historical aspects like uh like the wars that were going on and stuff like that um i'm wondering if that's what this movie's going to be about like it's not just him and his band but what they're living through in their own
0: time period mm. that's an interesting take um when you see that in uh promotional material for a movie like that sort of like style where it looks like something other than the real you know, like the paper, the paper mache or the the yeah. not paper mache You used a claymation. Yeah, <laughs> what did I say? Papier-mâché. Um, the the claymation sort of style art, or like just the the not real. You know, do you oftentimes see that and think this means the movie is going to have like a sort of a strange narrative style, but also a strange like art style that they intersperse in between? Yeah. Uh, so I don't automatically think that because I
1: really do appreciate those. Um, really hands-on artistic styles um and this is this is a real life move uh whatever the word for that live is. Action. live action yes this is a live action movie so even if they intersperse the claymation things like that would be interesting to see not something that i usually immediately think of um but i feel like i've watched a couple claymation or similar style you know puppetry stop-motion movies recently that i have enjoyed for that sake
0: um I'm I'm not saying, uh, and this is something we need to get away from as professionals talking about movies, but I'm not saying that like thinking that that's going to happen is a bad thing or that if you include that in your movie, it's a bad thing inherently. Right. Um. That's not at all what I'm trying to like get you to make a comment on. I just wanted to know if when you see that, is that something you immediately think? Like if you see something other than the real and the promotional material, you know, like claymation or something that looks kind of stop motion or your puppetry, do you think like this is just a metaphor representation of how the character feels, or are you immediately going to, this is something that's literally in the movie?
1: Oh, yes. All right. So I do typically, especially with, um, unless we're doing something like uh, horror movies or something like that, where they can really get uh, wild and what they put on the cover art. Um, Yeah, if uh, given the blurb and the fact that we do have like a claymation picture, It definitely makes me think that we're going to have some introspective moments where his psyche is being played out by a claymation man.
0: Yeah, uh, I think that's interesting. I do think that a lot of people see those types of imagery like that, you know, like a claymation style or a puppetry style or something like that. And instead of thinking like, this could be a metaphor for how the character feels. Or this could be like something that's not in the movie at all. And it's just like a cool visual thing for the poster. Just for the cover art. Yeah, just for the poster, just for the cover of the film. Instead of thinking that, they almost immediately think this is literally going to be a scene in the movie, um, which is oftentimes very much not the case. I think I think more often than not, the promotional material isn't a one-for-one uh, representation of what is actually in the movie. Uh, I can think of like way more examples of like, you know, hey, we used a, th- a cool image that somebody drew up or something or other um, that doesn't actually have like a one-for-one representation in the movie um but it does look cool like the star wars movies do this
1: or like uh i remember the butterfly effect movie covers and uh we really didn't get artistic butterfly whatever's happening because it was really just a representation of that theoretical construct
0: yeah yeah uh the, the, the Star Wars movies do the thing where they just sort of, like, pile all the characters into one super image, and there's not, like, an actual scene in the movie Where they're all doing a
1: human pyramid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Where they all
0: just get together and, like, all right, Darth Vader's going to be at the base, and Yoda's Yoda at the together. top. He's the lightest. <laughs> yeah. like, Come on, guys, we got to do this right. <laughs> like, that's not...
1: But, yeah, I mean, I did see that claymation thing, and while I could understand the metaphor that they're trying to make through there, or at least I could probably, like... Ramble on about what I think that metaphor means.
0: Let's do that because that could be a good guess. Um, <sighs> what do you think if this were to, if I were to, you know, say no, it's not like a real thing that's actually in the movie. The, it's the a clear metaphor. metaphor.
1: Never gets into the movie. It's purely a metaphor for the cover. Sure. Um, if that were the case, I mean, given given the blurb that he's been, off I can I can than, bring
0: up the image for you too.
1: I mean, I, I remember the image. I was actually as when you said bit. I kind of uh, fixated on the fact that the claymation man has pointy ears, and I'm like, it's a vampire movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here is the, the image. I mean, they have a second cover art with the claymation. All right, but anyways, for the question at hand. Um, Maybe it's
0: a really good metaphor. <laughs> so
1: so this blurb here where it's like, where he's bit off more than he can chew because he's a wannabe musician, and he tries to get into the... Uh, so, I mean, something, something about... Uh, how he's pitching himself, you know, this fake him that he's
0: selling to the band or something like that. Oh, okay. So you think that the 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 head here is to represent John and not Frank? I don't know, man. I, 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 no, I, I can't... There, there are I, no wrong answers. I'm no, just clarifying. I,
1: no, I actually... Because um, I, I haven't fixated a name to a face right now. So, sure, like, Coverman sure. uh, Coverman is... Uh, Frank, because that's the name under his face. <laughs> sure, that's a perfectly
0: fair way to read it. You don't um, have to excuse yourself to me. I'm not your dad. You're not getting graded. So
1: John, John is the wannabe to be musician. Yes, and Frank yes. is the enigmatic character. All right, so no, yeah, I I would see John as this um, claymation claymation head. Sure, uh, in the metaphor
0: that I put forth, he is also the first character that's named in the the blurb, right? Right. So we have we're, to assume immediately fixated on he's him. He's the main character, right? Right. Um, whereas like Frank is the last person, I do also respect the reading of it that like because the name directly underneath the face is Frank, this is Frank, right? That makes sense. That could also be a thing. And Frank For sure. is enigmatic, so like having like an him abstract, being larger than life or something yeah, like that. Having yeah. an abstract representation of him makes sense too. Like there's there's no wrong reading of this. I'm clearly this is a live action movie. Like it it there could be no. Right,
1: this claymation face could never again pop up. Sure, or maybe it could be like uh, one of them Scott Pilgrim type things, where it, like it's just him. Like whenever we see Frank, yeah, that's
0: him. That's claymation man. I mean, I don't know. Sure, he could just be in a in a world of live action characters. He's just a claymation right. or a puppet or whatever. It's twenty first mm-hmm. century Howard the Duck. I, I don't see any reason why not. I think that the 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 movie that you have created in your head is wildly <laughs> different from the movie we are about to watch. <laughs> Um, But I do, the point of this podcast very much is to hear people's like wild speculations about these things. And I'm not, again, they don't have to be good speculations. I don't want them to be good speculations. I mean, at this point, I'm just rambling on because all I've got
1: is, uh, got one run-on sentence and a claymation face. And uh, we just happened to have, I actually wouldn't even know it was live action if we didn't have uh, that trailer that wanted to play right beside the picture there. So I would have thought this was a whole claymation movie. (laughs)
0: So uh uh the character of Frank by the way is played by well well you'll you'll see in the movie okay he's uh he's a very famous actor even at the time of this movie coming out okay um so I like him a lot it's good to see him it's dumbledore isn't it it is dumbledore it's Dumbledore. <laughs> <laughs> if you're if that is the, the the guess that you're going to make the orangello you're going to make for yep. this one um it's uh, <laughs> it's dumbledore is that going to be our
1: um our adjective for bullshit guess?
0: i can use orange however i want you yeah. know how you can say instead of saying awesome or cool you, you can just say wizard you can do that you can yeah no one can stop you i can use orange however i want it's like fuck I can use that however I want. I can I, use, I'm going to start
1: working wizard and orangeello into more of my sentences.
0: Yeah. Next time, you know, your, your old lady gets naked in front of you, just be like, fucking wizard. Fucking wizard.
1: Get that orangeello on my face. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I would love it if orangello became the new word for pussy. That would make me so happy. Hell, I'd, I'd take butthole, too. You know, whatever. Well, We take what we
1: get around here. You know, Clockwork Orange tried to do that to be timeless. Uh, by making slang that uh, was not actual slang. They just made up fucking words,
0: Mm -hmm. threw it in there. Um, I think one of them was wizard. (laughs) (laughs) I know one of my favorite lines uh, in that movie is uh, like when they're about to fight and he goes, A bunch of the old ultraviolence, then. (laughs) (laughs) That's not like clever slang. That's like an actual, like an actual adjective you can put in front of anything, right? And then the word that you're going to do, like you're going to commit violence on them. It's just nobody talks that way, so it does sound like slang. But it's that's like a literal, like that you can say that.
1: See, I I haven't watched the movie. I just I remember reading the book and uh, thinking like these aren't words. These aren't these aren't words at all. They just threw them in
0: there um you know it's my favorite movie for that like for making up words to make it sound like more timeless or whatever mm -hmm. heathers heathers and it's uh it's set in a high school and so it really does sound like that's how like high schoolers that you're not familiar with at all might talk you know like they're from a different state or whatever you just go to visit the high school because your uh, cousin is like graduating or whatever and you listen in on conversation and you would hear it and think like yeah, no, when I was in high school, say some dumb shit like that. That was wicked fizzy, Brad. <laughs> God. Oh, God. I remember uh, Ed, Ed and Eddie kind of talked about that a little bit. Yeah? In one of their episodes, they talked about, like, fads and other things like that. And, like, they would, uh, what was it? There was another episode where they had Ed dress up to be cool. they try to teach him how to be cool. And right. so they would, like, teach him little slang terms that, like, would impress children. And, um... What, what's with the now happy down like shit like that you know <laughs> have you seen the edit Ed and Eddie movie I believe so the one where they go to meet Eddie's uh, uh, older brother, brother because young. they fuck something up
1: yeah god
0: I just uh, I do love Eddie's older brother as like a mythical character almost I, I yeah I mean
1: I, I think it really worked him turning into a shit bag um, it worked for the story they were telling Yeah. but yeah I just I remember watching the episodes and being like oh eddie's brother
0: how did he get the car in his room like yep, yep. what a what a man yeah yeah i i really do love i love him as a mythical character as this sort of like you know holier than now almost like eddie very much paints him up to be a hero but everybody else that is like familiar with the character of eddie's older brother or like knows him as a person specifically kevin kevin is terrified of eddie's older brother um And it seems like everybody else has, like, sort of a respect for his older brother, at least, like, enough to be, like... Even if it leaned on the respect through fear. Yeah, but Kevin specifically is terrified of this guy. Right. So much so that Eddie would, like, bring up, like, oh, my brother's coming into town. And he'd be like, oh, of course, take my bike, like, whatever you need. You know, um, sort of weaponizing the mythology. Or even, it does seem like Kevin might actually know him, I mean,
1: yeah, I'm not sure at what point eddie's older brother had uh left the cul-de-sac but uh i i mean fuck with what we see in the movie uh eddie's older brother very well may have been the type to be fucking punting babies and kevin may have been on the receiving end of the punts
0: yeah so that's uh that was like one of the cool things to me is like naz never seemed like she was afraid of eddie's older brother i i think i remember naz being like excited to see him or meet him or. Yeah, like she never met him or something like yeah, that. Yeah, either she never met him or she did, and like he was so attractive or he was so cool or something that she wanted to hang out with him again. Um, I, I think I remember that being Naz's like interaction with him, but like other characters were either like respectfully afraid of him or dramatically afraid of him. Specifically, I remember Kevin being like one of the ones that's like dramatically afraid. I think, I think there, there was an episode where Eddie just went around telling everybody that his brother was coming to visit yep. and sort of like garnered favors from people with varying degrees of success. And I think Rolf was one of the ones that was like, take take these sausages and give them to the yeah. older brother of the egg boy. You know. Rolf Rolf, Rolf was, was the best, by the why way. Why aren't we like, just doing a podcast on Eddie and Eddie? God. We really need to turn this around. Just say, just honestly we could do that at any movie there's gotta be people we know that haven't seen that
1: i mean i remember like seeing it once yeah and like i just caught it on a rerun like,
0: yeah 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 did you ever watch the dexter's laboratory movie i have not where they so so the plot is dexter is like traveling through time to try to find like a like space in time where he's not bothered by it. i think he's trying to get away from dd Dee Dee. But the plot, that is
1: the plot, typically.
0: Yeah. The, the, so the, but the, as the plot goes on, he finds out that he's sort of, like, terrorized by Mandark for the rest of his life. And, um,
1: Dee, Dee, is the, Dee Dee is his universal protector through the time stream.
0: Yeah, by the end of it, Dee, he, like, weaponizes Dee, Dee to overcome Mandark. Um, but, like, the, the movie gets so cool and, like, hardcore. By the end of it, they're, like, in a dystopian future where dexter's like super fucking buff and has a
1: kick-ass beard and like i love those by the way when, when they have the the jump to the future cuts um it really just makes me think of uh you know what, we need to do a podcast on samurai
0: jack god what a gem that was oh lord yeah god damn samurai Jack, and the newest season too is just like a, it wasn't bad yeah. yeah it was a it was a an enigma unto itself truly the claymation face of its time it was its own art
1: style, by the way. Mm. Um, I forget the name of the art style, but the uh, No Outlines art style. It was gorgeous. I, I'm sure they were pulling from another medium, like probably some classical Japanese artwork. I don't know. But God was a beautiful. And every episode was beautiful. And the Scotsman was beautiful.
0: <laughs> All of his female love interests were beautiful, too. Like I remember watching the show like in the first several seasons and being like, Jack, like, just just stay with the mermaid, man. Just stay, yeah. with, stay with her. That weird alien lady with all the eyeballs? Yeah. Like,
1: stay with her. God, if only we could go into the future now, i right? fuck
0: the eyeball lady. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, god damn. Like, so many different female characters. And then the, the one time, like, the female, like, love interest was Aku. And, like, I remember being like, <laughs> I knew the whole time. Like, as a kid, i like, I knew the whole time. I saw through this bullshit. <laughs> um... So we're going to go ahead and get into the movie. I think we've heard enough uh, back and forthing uh, about potential ideas. So we are back uh, from the movie, and uh, before I even got a chance to ask you how you felt about it, you were telling me that it made less and less sense to you as the movie went on. Do you care to elaborate?
1: Yeah, there were a couple of points where I really thought that I was uh, like getting a grip of how the characters were evolving. Mm-hmm. Um There was this one point where they're having the Nordic send-off of uh, the band manager. Mm -hmm. And John, and I forget her name, uh, Cold Bitch. Clara. Clara. Mm -hmm. So John and Clara have this exchange where it's like, oh, he was the old keyboard player. Yep, it was him. Then it was the other guy. And now it's you. And in any other movie, that would have been a sign that she has finally accepted him as part of the band. Which very much was not the case as the movie progressed, shortly after they had uh, hate-fucking. And so that went right out the window. And then there was this progression where it was like, he's going to be the band manager, and he's going to escalate the band. but And then everything just deteriorates from there. And yeah, like at, at no point in time did I understand like where the next move was going to be
0: or why the previous move had happened. So I think that this movie makes a lot of narratival sense in almost every decision they make, I think is very purposeful. Let me ask you this. What do you think is the uh what are what are the like major themes of the film? What are the things that like keep coming up?
1: I mean the one thing that springs to mind is just how John is like completely inept at what he does. Sure. Uh which which Why uh, do you
0: think he is inept? Or why does the movie think he's inept?
1: Why does John think he's inept? So his job as whatever it is like they don't even have to expound upon what his job is because he's got a very like desk position doing menial stuff and then he comes home and he he you know the movie starts off with him rambling about songs that he'd like to write because i think he idealizes being a musician without really doing that himself um and he, he can play a couple chords Cool. So I think a lot of people can play music, but that
0: doesn't make them musicians. Sure, but like in let's say twenty words or less. Okay. Let's not make this a whole thing. What do you think about like what are the what are some of the themes that keep coming up? Just is it love? Is it hate? Is it things like that? I mean, I'm not really sure. So yeah. so okay. So I'll I'll help you out here um, because this isn't the guest podcast, right? <laughs> Mental health constantly gets brought up. He was mentally ill. Uh, Don, the the, the producer or the uh, band manager, he uh, he fucks mannequins. And he went to a mental hospital for it. Uh, 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 Frank wears that papier-mâché face, you know, to cover up his own. They never really go into why he wears the face. He just does. He feels compelled to for whatever reason. They mention that it's because of his mental illness, but that's about as far as they go. No, so that's the thing. It's
1: like they touch on mental illness, and even in the band manager where it's like, yeah, I fucked mannequins, that, that's a mental illness, you know? Like, they say that, and for it to be so on the nose, that's a mental illness. Like, that's a weird thing to say, so I sort of wrote it off as a joke, really. Like, he, that's thats his quirky character trait. So, so. By the time that he kills himself, were you still thinking it was a joke? Or? I, I didn't think it had anything to do with mannequins. I thought it had something to do with that line where he's like, there can only be one Frank. Sure. Which, Which I, don't, I don't think that's a mental... I mean, clearly he killed himself, that's a mental illness. I mean,
0: wanting to be someone you're not is for, a mental illness. Right,
1: but it wasn't the mannequins. Frank wears a mannequin's face. All right. So it kind of relates a little. I mean, it does relate a little, sure. But I... You I know, if I, if I wanted to do a deep dive, it, it it wouldn't be he wanted to fuck mannequins and Frank's a mannequin, so he killed himself. I thought it would be some sort of more existential thing, like how he wanted some greatness for himself that Frank was going to be, and then he says, "We're finished. The album's finished, and this is the end of him as the band manager in relation to this great man that he wanted to be." And so he puts on the great man's mask and kills himself. It did not lead back to me. To mannequin fucking.
0: So, because we've established that mental health is a theme in the movie. It is brought up near constantly. Sure. And because they seem to consistently choose not to, like, dive deep into... A, like, what specific mental health problems these people have. And B, like, why they have them. Or, like, what's their reason for thinking that way or whatever. I think that the movie is very much trying to say that mental health isn't something that we can fully understand. And that's okay. Uh, Frank was the best keyboard player they ever had or not Frank I'm sorry uh, uh, Don Don was the best keyboard player they ever had they needed a keyboard player because Lucas was trying to kill himself in the water they didn't ask Don to do it they asked John to do it so why why not just look to Don and the answer is that like you think that like when when somebody has a mental health problem and they're like going through it all the best thing that you can do is be there for them right Support them. Let let them be around you. It's like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. He had mental health problems, but they always tried to include him in the things that they were doing. Interact with him, go and see him, you know. So they didn't just abandon Don when his usefulness was gone. And that's, like, I think, emblematic of the whole film. And specifically, this relates to how he kills himself. It doesn't have, like, an easily understood reasoning for it because it's a mental health issue. It doesn't have to have, like, a... He killed himself because the album was over. Like, yes, those two things are right next to each other, and it would be easy to conflate them with one another, but do they conflate with each other, like, realistically? No, not necessarily. Not, like... I mean, yeah, I mean, all
1: of this is going to be something that's implied, or even something that I'm projecting onto the movie. It's just the way that I saw it, where they finished the movie. He says, and I mean, again, they put things in the movie for a reason. He says, it's over. Like, he says those words... And then he chugs a beer, and at no point in time in the rest of the movie was he chugging a beer. And for it to, ch- for him to, while everybody's doing the congratulatory clinks, and for
0: him to just be steady, and then they zoom in on him chugging the beer, it just seems
1: very correlated.
0: Cor- they are also frame that scene as a. Uh, it looks almost exactly like the Last Supper.
1: Oh, I know. missed that part. But specifically yeah, specifically it. make it
0: look that way. Yeah, I I think that the movie, it's not about you projecting or anything like that, because that is what we do with people with mental health. We project our own understanding of our own mental health onto them. That's specifically what John does. John tries to understand these people with their mental health difficulties. He tries to understand them through his own limited lens as a person who doesn't have any mental health issues. And you can't. It doesn't make sense. It becomes like a thing that's difficult, and like it doesn't correlate easily because it shouldn't the way that their brains work are different than the way that our brains work in so many ways and they're the same in others obviously but like the best that you can do is provide people with mental health difficulties with dignity and respect and your and your, and your time and your friendship even if that can be difficult let me ask you this question on the term on the, on the, on the note of mental health does Clara does Clara have a mental health issue?
1: I mean, I know they bring it up, but I mean, again, they don't dive deep onto it. Um, do they bring up that she has a mental health issue? I mean, when they were in the hot tub, he does say, "I thought you had a mental," I thought you had a mental illness, and that was about it. She never confirms that. I mean, at no point in time do they t- say the French people have mental illnesses too. But if yep. we're just going off of themes, then that makes as much sense as anything else.
0: Yeah. So uh, there are characters in in the. Uh, movie that do not have any clear indication of a mental health issue or mental illness um Clara specifically it would be easy for someone to read this film as yes she does have like bipolar or like one of the more like schizophrenia something like that one of the more violent or extreme mental illnesses um or at least ones that people view as violent or extreme PTSD something like that you know But in reality, I think Clara is just a protective person and she's like willing to be aggressive or willing to be violent uh, with people in order to to, like further that end. I think she has a very loving bond with Frank. She has a lot of respect for him and wants him to, to be happy more than she wants him to be successful. And that is viewed as her being controlling or manipulative. But in reality, she's just being a good friend. But, like, even with that in mind, like, it's difficult to say, is she being a good friend or not? Like, a good friend would push for somebody's success, you know? Uh, It's tough to say. You have to be thinking about this in the terms that the movie's presenting you with. Specifically, it is interesting that, like, the, the John Don revelation is like, oh, hey, Don was your predecessor. Especially considering that, like, Don, John. See how their names are kind of the same? And... Don is a D, which comes before J in the alphabet. Look how cool and smart that was. Isn't that cool? What was your favorite song in the movie? I, I thought that would be the first thing you would bring up. You'd be like, oh, I loved this song. I wish they played it more, did more with it. Jeez, uh, I don't know. Um,
1: to be fair, I couldn't understand the lyrics coming out of uh, Frank's face most of the time. Uh, but I did like how the songs sounded. And I thought that was, like, they weren't as experimental as I was expecting them to be. Like, a couple of their songs were really fucking out there. So I can understand where they're like, oh, people don't like us or whatever. But most of their songs sounded good. And then Don's little riff on the keyboard with his uh, love song. Mm. Like, that was actually very good. Did you listen to the lyrics on that one? I, I vaguely remember them and just the uh, the dipping of oars in
0: icy waters and stuff like that. Like The only thing that disturbs the icy water is the boatman's oar. Lie still and let me in. He's he's writing a song about fucking mannequins. But the flowery language makes it sound it's like, very pretty. Yeah. Yeah. But it is very much a song about fucking mannequins. I
1: mean, I did catch on that it was about fucking something, but I think I missed a couple of words there because uh, anytime you're talking about dipping
0: an oar in a song, it's fucking. Usually, yeah. Yeah. Because you know, a, bo- a boatswain's mate or a boatswain or a boatman... Is very much a man's job. They very rarely have historically given that job to women, uh, and the ore is very much a big wooden pole you stick in that the you water. you plunge into the wet thing. Yeah. yeah. The 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 metaphor here is not particularly subtle. Right. <laughs> so that was the song you liked the most. The uh...
1: I that was the one that up front sounded the most pretty, and I just happened to be predisposed to very pretty sounding songs lately but the rest of their songs were not bad um
0: lady it, in it, the red dress that one was that one could have been a banger right i feel like that one not only is it kind of funny but also like yeah you know just describe the things you
1: see what's wrong with that i mean yeah i mean they were all i just i thought they were all really good and then they cut back to to john and him trying to sound like the beatles but not understanding like how to put words on it and then they get up on stage and he does his la la la
0: thing and Like, even I can see that it's crap, but I just, I don't understand why the crowd is still cheering. (laughs) Music shit, yeah. Well, so, like, I think the reason for that is just, you know, crowds typically kind of just try to keep the energy high to, like, see where it's going. like, hey, positive reinforcement, come on, let's see where this is going, you know. Um, I will say that there's a point in the movie where John talks about how, I can't remember the exact words for it, but he says, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. I believe it is. Yeah, where he's talking about taking off the mask. Yeah, it says you should face your fears. And basically, cognitive behavioral therapy is recognizing that, like, just because you think that something horrible is going to happen or you're afraid that that's going to happen doesn't mean that it's actually very realistic and you just need to acknowledge that. And usually that means, like, I'm afraid of spiders. And they kind of just, like, put a spider near you and you're like, while I am terrified of this, you're right. Nothing bad is happening. It's okay. And while that was considered a huge breakthrough in, like, psychological therapy, it doesn't really account for everything, um, and it doesn't really, like, discuss everything. And oftentimes, it's about, like, trying to get someone back to a place where they can either function in society or specifically work in a workplace. So, I will say that it's it's rather weird that he brought that up, um, unless
1: that was his tie-in to having his own mental illnesses or something like that, because he doesn't work in that field. And... As far as I
0: can tell, he's fairly young. Work in the field of music? Or in the field of psycho...
1: Of of psychoanalysis, or, or whatever you would call that. It looked like he was doing... I wish I could remember the words when the the one time we saw his screen, but he was doing a desk job. He was doing really administrative
0: crap. He he has what would be described as a bullshit job. Yeah. It's just you're kind of there to like... So they can have another number and they can say, yeah, he does do a thing and you don't really do anything.
1: Right. So for him to have that knowledge of um, that thing you said, um, that he said. Cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah. Cognitive behavioral therapy. For him to have that knowledge is kind of strange... Unless he was reading up on it while
0: he was, I don't, I don't think with I don't think them. the movie has to give us a reason why he's familiar with cognitive behavioral therapy. It's I'm, that, so, I'm <laughs> sorry, I'm going to stop you right
1: there because you're like,
0: it's it's, uh, it's
1: everything's it's, got a point, right? Like that was the whole point of this whole I, thing. I, is I that do there, have a point for like, it, that, if that you're are, asking me yeah, for that point.
0: Then that, okay. yeah, I'm about to get there. Okay, I'll have your silence, sir. Okay. Uh, so the movie doesn't need to give us a reason for him bringing that up because, like, already we've established that. Not only does Frank work best when using psychoanalytical therapy, which is kind of the opposite of cognitive behavioral therapy, psychoanalytical therapy believes that you just need to understand yourself by usually just talking out loud to another person. Um, that's what most therapy is. You sort of sit there and just let them know, yeah, I've been feeling, you know, not great lately. Oh, why is that? Uh I guess I've been trying to, like, make friends, and every time I talk to people, they don't really, you know, it doesn't feel like they listen to me and I'll ask them later about something I mentioned and, they, and you just go and go and go and as you're doing it you're exploring yourself and understanding yourself further. Every time that John and uh, Frank have an interaction in the film, it's kind of like that where they just kind of have like a simple interaction of I'm feeling this way. Why? Well this. And that's where the, the Lone Standing Tuft song, also a banger, comes from. Is that discussion of, hey I feel like I'm trying to make songs and they're coming out shit and like I can't find my creative, core, like, song-making ideas. That is a psychoanalytical therapy discussion. And it's weird that in his, like, darkest moment, he goes the opposite way, where he's trying to, like, use cognitive behavioral therapy, which is considered outdated at this point. It's still useful for some people. It's not completely useless, but it's weird that he went backwards into this older type of, like, therapy. Why he would specifically say the words for it, I guess, is just for us to look up. But it's very understandable that somebody in modern times would be familiar with the concept, at least. He's certainly not using it in a way where he knows how to fucking use it. You don't just fucking throw it on somebody like that. I mean, that is
1: fair. It's I just find it really weird that, I mean, now that you bring it up, their, their methods of working through their issues throughout the movie, while seeming very natural, definitely fit how you've described but they at no point put through a technical term at it, and then I mean I guess I could assume that because he's the internet media guy, he could have Googled psychoanalytic uh, methods.
0: But that's it. Just feels out of place. And, and these are things that we absorb through osmosis. Like we don't need to Google it to know. We like because it has become the standard. The culture knows about it, and eventually that trickles down into us knowing about it, even if we don't know that we know about it. As I described psychoanalytical therapy to you, you're at no point is any of this shocking to you. You're like, yeah, I've seen like movies and stuff where they lay the guy down and he just kind of talks about his life. Yep. Yeah, you know what yep. it is. You've that's seen the thing. It. that's the yeah. Freudian thing. You didn't know what that was called, but you knew about it, you're familiar, osmosis. It got into you without you really knowing it. And you were also aware of cognitive behavioral therapy, where they just try to, like, introduce you to the thing that you're afraid of in a way that's, like, safe and calming, and you can go, you're right. You know, lizards aren't scary. They're just little puppies with scales. They're fine. You knew that that was a thing that sometimes therapists do through osmosis, not because you're familiar with the field, but because you've seen it somewhere or read about it or somebody talked about it. I mean, at the very
1: least, when you said it, it made sense to me. Like, I can't recall a time where I've seen that, but... It makes sense as, um, even if it's like false, it makes sense where the thought process was there. It wasn't
0: like somebody was like, ah, throw spiders at the guy. Yeah, I mean, I get how there's like a logical connection here as well as like potentially an osmosis one. But I do think that if you really press yourself, you can probably think of a conversation you had where somebody was like, yeah, and then I just kind of like, hung out with a, with a dog, and I realized dogs aren't, aren't going to attack me. They're right, not, right. I mean, I'm reasonable. sure Face Your Fears was a thing that was brought up at some point sure. in my life. yeah. And that wasn't considered, like, a medical sure. answer always. It became one, and then it became a successful one, and then people just decided, yeah, this is something we should always be incorporating all the time. Um, the movie cares so much about representation of people with mental health, and it's, like, constantly bringing it up. I think that Claire is a good example of how the movie wants to talk about how women are seen through the lens of mental health specifically as being, like, hysterical. Like, that was... Hysteria is a word that, like, was used on women whenever they were behaving in a way that men didn't want them to. And then that was because, oh, she's got hysteria. And that was a medical term for a long time until they stopped using it because it's it's just bullshit. It doesn't mean anything. Um, and I think Clara represents that time in, like, mental health, like, uh practices. I think she's very much meant to make you think like she's a villain the whole movie, and then by the end you're like, no, like Frank needs her because they're good friends and they like support each other. And like I think Frank needs her a lot more than she needs him. She's still able to function after Frank leaves, or after she leaves him, I suppose. Get separated, whatever. Um she's still able to function. She still has her place in the band and is able to do that. And very much to the final song is frank apologizing for letting this happen for just sort of trying to like try something else and to try to like you know side with somebody who wasn't her and he kind of betrayed her a little bit he didn't stand by her even though like i know that scene where like she's kind of whispering to him and everything looks bad like visually this looks like she's doing something wrong but in reality he probably had a panic attack and she's trying to like calm him down you know here just just feel my hands feel my breath just stay with me here calm down it's okay you know that's how you bring someone down from like a panic attack you remind them that they're everything's okay you're safe you, you're just a person nothing around here is going to hurt you i'm here you're here just stay here with me these are very common through lines of discussion for calming someone down from a panic attack so i mean what has john gained by the end of this because
1: i mean if this whole movie is Meant to be seen through the lens of an exploration into mental illness. Then that's fine. John seems superfluous in that end. You know what I mean? Like, by the the end of it, he's like, Oh, I shouldn't have messed with the mentally ill people. I guess I'll leave now. Is basically where John's story goes.
0: So John, throughout the film, mentions that he wants to have his own Bluff, Kansas. He paints Bluff, Kansas up to be like a dark place when he's... Talk talking with Don and Don is like well he's, all I know about him is he's from Bluff, Kansas and he's like Bluff, Kansas it sounds so dark like he pretends like this is a place where you would have been tormented because he's got this idea that like to be a good artist you have to be tormented you have to have suffered this is not just like a John specific idea this is a common blue line people right. believe I've definitely heard that uh, you know with great art there must be great suffering that type of thing like and that's just the movie is trying to argue that that's not true that specifically the suffering or the mental illness that uh, frank has endured has made his art more they say that it slowed him down and i think that like when we think about that i think that that's very much the parents trying to like understand it or like convey how it works i don't think it ever slowed him down it just was it added complexity to it it added difficulty to it it made it more difficult but not worse by any means like his his art is not worse because of his or or harder i think slowing down is probably the nicest words you can use because you can still create great art it's just slower to get there right i, so. I will kind of say it's kind of weird that um we see
1: the young pictures of john and he's got a clarinet or a recorder or whatever so clearly like that like he's always and Frank's parents say he's always been musical, but then we cut to his, which I'm assuming the point of the picture was to show that he's always had a fucked up face or whatever. But he's got the baseball mitt in front of his face. We don't see any pictures of him doing music, so like I'm, I'm I'm curious as to
0: whether he even ever had that. I do think the baseball mitt was just meant to be a joke. Like it was one of those moments where, like like when you see him in the shower, and it's just meant to be like, ha ha. Again, you don't get to see his face. Ha ha kind of thing. I don't think it was meant to be that he had a fucked up face. Th-
1: this was not a correlation to us seeing... Because we only see children's pictures two times in this movie,
0: and one of them's with John with a clarinet, and the other ones with
1: yeah. Frank with a baseball bat.
0: You could probably make something here, but I do think that it's in line with the visual gag of like we think we're going to get to see his face here. Such shit like this, that makes it so hard to tear apart these movies because the things that I see as
1: gags are clearly not the gags, and the things that I'm trying to tear apart for information are the gags.
0: I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that's what I think it is, and it's something worth considering. This could just be a gag, or it could be. You know, hey, maybe they're trying to say that, like, you know, he's always been ashamed of his face specifically. You know, that's why he held up the, ba- the baseball mitt. He's ashamed of his face and he's trying to convince his dad to create this mask for him and so on and so forth. Like, maybe that's what it's trying to say. And maybe it's both. You can be true or false or true and false or neither true nor false. You can do a lot of things here. So I don't think either of us is right or wrong. I think that probably it's all of the above. So, like, I I just think that I just wanted to bring up that it's worth noting that this is like a consistent gag that we get in the movie, where you think you're going to get to see it, where you think you're going to learn something new about Frank here, and you don't. It's just more of this mental illness, and I think that's worth noting. Like, the mental illness never becomes who you are, but it is a persistent thing. That's it's there. You know, he doesn't. He isn't the mask, but it is something that's on him. Always. It isn't who he is, but it is, it's sort of a really good metaphor for mental health. You know, he's got this thing on him and sometimes it's very clear to see and other times it sort of fades into obscurity and all you can see about Frank is his excellent genius in music making and kind of forget that he's wearing this really weird mask. Did that ever happen when you were watching the movie where you kind of forgot you were watching this goofy-looking dude in a papier-mâché mask, and instead you were just like, wow, he made a song about a tuft of, like,
1: wool on a carpet? I mean, I guess you could say that happened, for sure. Like, at, at no point did I ever lose track of the fact that it was a man in a mask, but I did start to buy into the this uh, this man with something wrong with him is an artistic genius, and... I could totally understand how John was trying to buy into that. Because I don't think there was anything wrong with John. Or at least they didn't portray anything as being wrong with the John. He very much wants you to think that he's a healthy, normal, everyman kind mm. of character. Yeah. And he just... he I don't know. He wanted his artistic greatness that he just, for some reason, was incapable of getting. And so he latched onto this guy. This group of people who
0: were phenomenal at everything they did. But it isn't as if they were perfect people. Even if we were to take... Don's expression of wanting to fuck mannequins as a joke, which I, I do think that's a good reading of it. I think that it is very much meant to kind of sound like he's fucking with John, right? Like, yeah, fuck mannequins. It's it, it's sort of like the
1: half-truth thing. It's like, yeah, I spent time in a mental hospital. And then you're like, yeah, because I ate shit all the time. And it's like, oh, oh, you got me. And then he probably did spend time in a mental hospital, but he didn't want to say it because I murdered my family or whatever the fuck his reason was. Sure.
0: And you don't owe anyone that by any
1: means right um but yeah i mean even even for him to i mean i guess i never made that connection with he used to be our keyboard player and why doesn't he anymore like what what caused him to no longer want to play the key i mean i still think that ties into him wanting to be as amazing as frank because he had a beautiful sounding song Regardless of the context of of fucking mannequins,
0: it was beautiful, and I would argue that anybody who listened to it would find it beautiful. I I do think that like we need to put value in the fact that his experience is super specific, and in that way, definitely worth having a song for. Right. You know, somebody out there is going to hear this and go, "Oh my god, me too."
1: I mean, if anything, like whether or not anybody else felt that, like you can only be emotional about things that matter to you, absolutely. Unless you're formulaically producing music to make the money which doesn't seem to be anybody's MO here back to what i was saying it was a beautiful song and he's good at what he does but he says oh see i make crap too the both of us we make crap songs because there can only be one frank and i just i think it all comes back to this him feeling inferior for whatever reason and sure maybe he killed himself because he
0: because he like, to fuck mannequins, that could also be the case. So, so I, again, I think this is a true and false situation. So, we've already discussed Don's importance in the movie and how he, like, connects to John specifically. So, him and him and John are two halves of the same coin. Their names are the same. They kind of have fill the same role in the band. One of them is just at the end of his journey, and the other is at the beginning of it, right? So, John is at the beginning of his journey, and Don is at the end of his... With that in mind since they are like a duality to each other don's mental health problem that's in the vaguest of terms is a an inability to engage with his humility his ability to say i'm not as good as frank i can see that i can tell i can quantify that and that's okay i don't have to be as good as frank that's what humility does for you it lets you recognize that you're a human who's not perfect or not as good as you want to be but that You're as good as you are, and being as good as you are is good. He's not able to engage with that kind of humility, and his, like, narcissistic spiral of depression downward, where he's like, I want to be frank. That's narcissism. You want to be beautiful, and the thing that you see as beautiful is frank. But you're not. And that not being that, instead of the opposite, which we'll get to in a moment, spirals him downward into depression. The opposite of this is John, where he sees Frank also as beautiful, as something to strive towards being, but instead of spiraling him into depression because he is not Frank, it causes him to be manic and to be pushing towards being Frank, always making strides, always pushing to be more like him, to like make Frank better, make himself better, change everyone around, to do all this stuff because of his narcissism and his inability to just say, I can humble myself, I'm not as good as the things that I want, I'm not achieving those things right now. And that's okay, because I'm a limited person, and I can only do so much. John and Don are the same character, just on the opposite ends of their journey. So is it starting to make more sense for you, though?
1: I mean, yeah, if I, if I had gone into the movie um, with the expectations of exploring mental illness, I probably would have looked at things in a different light. Because um, John is very much not the main character. He's, uh, uh, what would you call it, the
0: unreliable narrator of the story. <laughs> that is probably... I honestly have never had heard anyone say that exactly about uh, the character of John. Um, but I think that's the best way to describe him. I, I like to describe him as an antagonist. He's sort of played out to be the protagonist in the beginning, but the more you learn about him and the way that he views the world around him, the more it becomes very clear he is a negative force for this story. But I think that the unreliable narrator is certainly a, another role he fills, if not the more important one. Because the way that we understand this journey that he's on, the story of Frank that we get, is through the lens of John.
1: Well, that's exactly it.
0: I feel like as we, d-
1: we dive into it, it's more an exploration of Frank and his band. And, and John being there to witness how this is all playing out. And yeah, he, d- he does have a negative effect on the whole thing. But by the end of the movie... like. We have no indication that John as a character has changed at all, really.
0: He just leaves. I think the fact that the he end. does leave tells us that he's changed. His willingness not to say, I brought the band back together, so now I'll play on the keyboard and we'll make it all better again, or whatever the fuck. Or even even to go up and say, I'd like to join the band and I'll be a good boy. Even then would be him actualizing that same problem in his in his hubris, his feeling that he needs to be able to achieve his greatness and he's willing to step on whoever or change whatever in order to make that happen. His ability to humble himself and recognize this is not for me, this is not my place, I will leave it now, and I will allow something that works naturally on its own to work naturally on its own.
1: I mean for sure. I just I feel like in the lens of the rest of what we're trying to gain from this movie, that evolution of John like is kind of a a tacked onto the side thing. Like, if we're exploring mental illness and also John's ability to be humble.
0: Well, I don't know. I mean, I think that, like, narcissism can be viewed as a mental illness. I think that the better way to look at narcissism is that it's something that we all struggle with. And honestly, mental illness probably is the same. We all struggle with some form of mental illness. Oh, for sure. It's it's a spectrum that we're all... I mean, this far down the line, our brains cannot possibly be working correctly. Yeah. And what is correct even? Would we know it if we see it? Right. You know, we saw John for most of the film as a healthy... Normal, human, individual. But the more we think about it, the more clear it is that not only does he have narcissism, but it's pretty bad. Um... To the point where I would not be surprised to find out. And, I mean, you wholeheartedly believe me that him and Don are the same. And that given enough time, he would go the way of Don. Where he fucking kills himself because he can't be frank. Oh,
1: for sure. Yeah, after enough time. Yeah. Just,
0: yeah. If he was as old as
1: Don, having decided that he sucks at what he does. Yeah. Even if he got to the point... Yeah, I mean, I could totally see him getting to the point of Don where it's like having... Progressed so much to make beautiful songs and still be like, ah,
0: but I'm not Frank. Yeah, uh, so that is another thing about the movie that it does really well. Like, not only like transitioning John from the protagonist to the antagonist and Clara from the antagonist to the protagonist, like, it very much becomes clear that Clara was the good guy all along, I think. I mean, her proclivity for violence, if she were a guy, would be. Probably a lot more accepted because guys can be violent and it's not a problem, but women cannot. And like, don't get me wrong, you know, stabbing somebody who's yelling, please stop, I'm using my safe word doesn't look good on anyone, really. But, like, there are plenty of movies where things like this happen, and the character who, like, enacts that violence is seen as correct and right in doing so. Uh, enacting justice or whatever. Yeah. Dis- despite the fact the other person's begging you not to, you know, you've got to have your justice, you got to show him you can enact violence on him or whatever have you. Right. Um, so, like, with that journey in mind, I think that the journey of uh, uh, John as a healthy, normal guy to a radically easy to view as mentally ill person, you know, and again, I uh, personally, I think that narcissism is something that we all deal with. And again, so is mental health. So maybe that's not particularly helpful, but um, that is something that I think the movie does a good job of is enlightening us to the fact that like mental health, something that we all have a little bit of a problem with, right? It would be very easy for someone we even see as being perfectly normal to have a deep seated problem within them. That they are struggling with every day. And that expresses itself outwardly to everyone around them. Constantly. Without anyone, any reasonable inquiry being able to detect that. I love your wall. That song fucking slaps. Tears me up every time. That
1: one at the end? Yeah. I liked seeing the evolution of it to him just talking. And then it's like, oh shit. The, the French, the French guy in the back being like, Oh, this could be a banger. <laughs> I, I did like seeing that. And I did not like the song, but like, I loved watching the process. And then for, for Frank to just be like, Oh, this could be a song. Thanks Frenchie.
0: I also, uh, think that it plays into the psychoanalytical therapy method where he kind of just talks about the things that he sees or talks about, you know, what he's perceiving around him or in himself. Um, even his first song, Frank's first song, he literally says, "In the soup, ginger crouton," and then he like makes a bunch of like references to drowning, undertow, does like a swimming thing. He's wearing a, a, a swimsuit. swimsuit He's making references to the fact that that redheaded guy, Lucas, who also had a beard and ended up kind of looking like uh, John later in the film when they've been recording for entirely too long, he had drowned that day. He was just writing a song about his friend who had been hurt the film very much agrees with psychoanalytical therapy methods of just talking about what you're experiencing, what you're perceiving, you know, what, why you think that's happening. you know. And I think that the final song kind of does that where he just sort of takes in everything around him and asks them to hold him and talks about the fidgety digits. And he's just talking about, you know, what's going on inside of himself and talking about how much he loves them. It's also no, wor- worth noting that Clara sings, uh, two songs two different songs while waiting for Frank basically uh the first song is uh on top of Old Smokey and this, the line that she ends on I lost my true lover for courting too slow for courting's a pleasure and parting's a grief that's the line that she ends on and then the next song she sings is I want to marry a lighthouse keeper are you familiar at all with the symbolism for lighthouses and lighthouse keepers um are you gonna tell me it's a penis That, certainly. Right. But also, lighthouses are a symbol of uh, enlightenment and faith. Uh, Usually through, like, because of the the light beacon outward saving. So it's like
1: saying, I want to marry the the preacher's son. But yeah, with with nautical theme.
0: Well, yeah. And, like, they're they're a ship out to sea careening into nothingness, basically. They don't know where they're going without Frank. And he is the lighthouse that will guide them back to safety um also lighthouse keepers are typically considered madmen yeah they are usually there's even a movie called the lighthouse where willem defoe plays a crazy lighthouse I, I
1: haven't seen that one
0: but it's also got twilight man i believe it has uh, a robert pattinson yes um but yeah so and and frank very much is sort of a mad genius he's a bit of a madman so i want to marry a lighthouse keeper is kind of a perfect song for her and so is that song about losing her uh lover for courting too slowly uh, likely because uh, you know there's a very serious probability that she never did make a move on frank and that she does love him in that way we don't really get to explore that very well um it's also noteworthy that like you mentioned earlier she sort of hate fucks uh uh john and i don't know how much that tells us about her and her sexuality and her romantic styles or what have you um, I don't know how much there is to take apart there, but I do love that sex scene. That's a really fun sex scene. There's a lot going on. High energy. Uh, uh, uh what's her? Margaret jillenhall Gin- or, or Maggie jillenhall I can't remember. Uh, Miss Miss Jillenhall. Um, great great performance. And she does like the rest of the scene like nude in the the hot tub with like just like a titty sort of out of focus. Flopping yeah, just barely under the water. Yeah, yeah. With um, the nipple
1: blurred out so they can
0: show. Up. Yeah, and they're not like trying to sexualize her in that scene i don't think i think they there are a lot of scenes where they're trying to make clara like just be a woman who can wear whatever you know she she the first time she sort of accosts uh john in the middle of the night and also when frank is listing all the different birds he calls clara the owl the 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 night hunter and then every time she accosts john it's at night or at least anytime she talks to him i think she does accost him one time during the day Uh, But she's like basically she's like sitting down and everyone else is running around like lunatics, so she's kind of at a resting position, like an owl would be during the day. She's wearing glasses too, like sunglasses. She punches him in the face like she said she would. But in the scene where she says somebody needs to punch you in the face, she is just wearing like an exposed bra with no shirt on and like a sort of a gown around her shoulders, basically not really covering anything. And I think that. This is not meant to be a sexy scene by any means, or sex exploiting uh, uh, Miss Gyllenhaal. Miss Gyllenhaal at all. I think it is just.
1: Hey, yeah, I was about to say like they could have done so much more to like if they wanted to exploit that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I uh, was there. Was there anything else about the movie that confused you? You didn't understand why it was there, or
1: I mean, it was really just how it ended. Like as it as it went on, I could make sense of some of it. I'm not really sure why. They had that heartfelt moment that I mentioned after the uh, Viking funeral, but you know I can just accept that that wasn't heartfelt, and that like I don't know maybe foreshadowing maybe just them trying to make more of a connection between the two characters, whatever that might have meant, I think I just went into this with a different focus, and so I may have read into the wrong things or read
0: certain things the wrong way, yeah, um I think that uh foreshadowing Surely. certainly yeah uh john john you know the guy who came before you and he was even better than you you know look at the the great fall that he had and now it's all on you i think that very much could be perceived as foreshadowing for sure yeah
1: you know like uh like that scene in the desert where they're going to scatter don's ashes and they're just spreading whatever the fuck that was milk powder
0: this the stuff that frank eats yeah yeah
1: um uh... You know, I guess on one hand you could say that that's the beginning of his descent in America, or his mental decline in America, or something like that. Or it could be just another fucking funny bit. Like, it's so hard to read in some of these.
0: And again, you don't have to have one or the other. You can have both, or you can have neither. It could just be a scene that they were like, well, you know,
1: we already emptied out the tub of milk power, and we, we gotta get put the scene in there to pay for it. Whatever. Maybe, who knows? Maybe the, the people
0: who own the milk powder company who sponsored that scene. I don't know. Very possible. Grownut sounds, seems like a wealthy company trying to make a little bit of money. Can we Google that real quick? Is Grownut an actual company? Like, they didn't make that up. It should it? be known that like a lot of this is based on true... Like, Frank is like a character played by... Uh, oh, by the way, it's uh, Michael Fassbender is who is the person who plays Frank. Michael Fassbender, if you don't know, plays Magneto, and Magneto was, uh, was... Oh, he plays young Magneto or something like that? Yeah, shit, in in the the first class movie, and then the the preceding timeline for that. So the, uh, character that this is based on is, it's, uh, yeah, Frank Sidebottom, not Longbottom. It's Sidebottom. (laughs) Neville Longbottom? So Frank Sidebottom is the character um uh that like the actual frank like mask and everything is based on but the music is based on like captain beefheart and daniel johnston and these other sort of like really experimental weird <laughs> musical groups cannot track down grown up but yeah it's probably just a made-up thing but like i don't this is sort of the problem with uh film uh or really any like rhetorical analysis of anything is. Anything you're working with – anytime you're working with any kind of like data, right, where you have to like compile your data and say, look at all this data I have. I think it means this. So the data didn't really mean anything on its own. It only meant something because I said that it meant something.
1: Right, yeah. I mean yeah. – Yeah, so if we take this movie as just something that was thrown out there, I mean, really, you could spin it to be anything. Sure. I mean, that is, that is how people make arguments and even – Cherry picking arguments. Uh, I'm not going to go into the bullshit terminology of tracking down bias in an argument,
0: but an argument is bias. So sure. The 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 difference is is the reason that we like data driven arguments is that when you have a lot of data and it is hard to argue that it like meant anything other than the one thing. Like you really have like constructed it in such a way that like yeah it does because of the way we gathered the data or the questions that we asked or the things that we did. It does look like it means this. When you have like all of that data, it really does support the argument. It feels like.
1: Oh, for sure. If anything, it just it makes it harder to say that it does not mean that thing,
0: because sure. you can take that same data and say that it meant anything else. But the the point I'm trying to get at is when we get to the like up scene, right? Right. To say whether or not this is like the meant to signify that this is his downward spiral, whatever the fuck. Or if it was, yeah. I don't know if there's enough, like, actual data that, like, we could use to say, yes, this is the moment, or no, this isn't, or whatever. I think it would very much be our interpretation. I mean, I'm sure there's a
1: way to explain that. Like, you know, even from an economic standpoint, any, any moment that you put into the film, or you spend filming in the film, has cost money to make. And to put it in there takes time. That has to be edited later. So, I mean, I'm sure there's a way to argue that her... Prancing off into the desert, flinging grown-up powder, meant something.
0: Clara does very much like to mock other people's like interpretations of things and whatnot. There's even that scene in the hot tub where she says, like Yeah, and I'll take off my glasses and he'll realize I was beautiful the entire time or something like that. Right. She's mocking his like analysis of why Clara behaves the way that she does. Right. Uh, for his first deduction was that she was you know mentally ill and she's like no and then his second deduction was oh well then you just are so in love with uh frank that you seem mentally ill and she's like i'm just gonna make fun of you now because this is ridiculous uh i think clara as a character likes to sort of point out how ridiculous things are which is a perfectly healthy way of coping with like difficult times and whatnot and i do think that like if we were to like just again use Oakham's razor and say like what is the simplest reason for why that scene is in there it wouldn't be unreasonable to say it's kind of funny you know it's it's a little joke you know to kind of bring some because we did just experience a suicide movie right we kind of should try to have something in here that kind of like Brings us back to that sort of lighthearted. A second and
1: third suicide. If Nightingale can teach us anything, <laughs> if Nightingale taught us anything, it's that we can include as many suicides as we. You just you got to double and triple down on these things that make people feel like shit. Yeah.
0: So I, I I don't think that that's an unreasonable way of looking at it, and I don't think that my way of looking at it's unreasonable either. I think that that's it's perfectly fine. Yeah. It could be. This is the moment when things are starting to go really downhill, or it could have been back at the at the funeral when they pointed out that. You are him, like that's that is when they're closing up the whole like you and Don are the same character thing. That should that's when it should have like clicked in your head that these guys are really close to being the same dude. So if I were to pick a point where like when does the downward spiral like really start, I'd say right around there. But these scenes are close to each other, so it's not unreasonable to right. say. Right? No, I just
1: there. I meant as far because before that Frank is really like excited to to have these 15,000 people that saw his YouTube video (laughs) uh, to to go meet those people. And it's just, I want to say the look on his face, but clearly that's not the correct term for it. But his, like, head-in-hand gestures. When they're at the pancake house. No, no, I mean, before that, like, as soon as they take the grown-up powder out of his hand, it's like, oh, these are are not his ashes. And for him to just be held there, um, thinking whatever thoughts are in his pretty little head. Like that that being the beginning of all oh, this was a bad idea.
0: Hmm, that's a good question. When did Frank start realizing this was a bad idea? I I I always assume it's the pancake house, because that's when like I mean that
1: is dramatic for, you, for them to be have, like, Oh no no no, you only have like seven thousand views on YouTube. You're probably gonna get one or two people there and he like crawls on the table and says, Everybody's gonna hate us <laughs> or whatever the fuck yeah, it is he yeah. says.
0: He, he he sort of has like an existential moment there. Um I'm trying to think of another scene before that that really, like, because, like, when I see the grown-up scene, I think that that is very much just, like, I can't believe I did this to Don. Like, I, I have dishonored his memory, basically, because Frank seems like a very genuine person. He is, in, in most of his interactions, I don't think he's making fun of anyone or being sarcastic or being pessimistic or anything like that. He is very much, like, if I say I like something, I like it. If I say, you know, something's tragic, it's because I feel like it's tragic, you know. So I do think that, like, we're not really supposed to read Frank as more than, like, what he is actively expressing to us. Like, it's not supposed to be much deeper than that. Uh, maybe not in the scenes where he's, like, kind of trying to, like, make it seem like he's not freaking the fuck out. But even then, his physical, like, it's is pretty clear. Yeah, like, uh, he, he wears his heart on his sleeve. It's pretty easy to tell when he is or isn't doing okay.
1: I, I will say it was kind of interesting for me, like towards the end where he's singing about the wall and acting very, uh, he, he has very autistic tendencies, you know, like not making eye contact on, on the floor, like wringing his hands, whatever. That tied to earlier where he's like, would it help if I said what my facial expression was, which is a thing that autistic people have to deal with is getting cues, visual cues from people's face or facial expressions. That's a thing they struggle with.
0: I just thought that was a funny tie-in. Maybe it's something that I'm only seeing, but I don't think that that's an unreasonable reading of it. I think that like, he does have these like really awkward, uh, physical mannerisms, especially when he doesn't have his mask on. He's obviously, when he has his mask on, he seems a lot more confident. That's the thing. Like, especially like his father talks about how like the worst thing you can do for something like this is support it basically, or not. So he doesn't say support it, but like, yeah, like, uh, basically like pander to it pander yeah i think it was pander to it i don't think that that's like a reasonable or a faithful reading of like frank's health like frank does seem a lot happier when he has the mask on and like any kind of like health anytime somebody's trying to give you health advice it should always be about trying to make you happy both like so i mean
1: i I do so i'm on both sides of the fence with that where i do think that Efforts should be made to to make Frank feel comfortable with himself. If it's wearing a mask, if, I mean, shit, if you really wanted to wean him off that, I know there's been times where I've had to like publicly speak and like wearing sunglasses works for me, like just being behind something. So I totally understand like accommodating. Um, At the same time, I mean, if we wanted to look at this in a realistic perspective, imagine trying to get on a plane and wearing the mask like that doesn't work. So there's 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 a line between pandering.
0: I don't know if and, that's a fair way of like saying like he shouldn't wear the mask cuz he can't get on a plane. I don't think that's enough. No,
1: well no, I I'm saying that like if we're looking at it in a realistic perspective, there is uh everything should be done to make him more comfortable in his own skin, but also he should be weaned off to be able to I mean, I guess in his own life he doesn't have to worry about that. I mean, they made it to America from Ireland. Surely they had to had to do something involving passports, unless this is far enough back where they were just like, yeah, go ahead.
0: It seems to be set in relatively modern times, so we're gonna assume same rules as what we're going through now, minus COVID, basically. Right. Um, and I think the movie was made in twenty fourteen, so even if we were to just it, say it's safe to assume to get from Ireland to America you would need a passport. He did have his little, you know, I have a certificate thing, which seemed to Oh, work I have a certificate. In most cases, yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was enough. I do think that you're making a good point in that like there's a degree of this that is like how much do you coddle the man to give him a happy
1: life and how much do you try to re if rehabilitate is the right word to to get him more suited to they're a bunch of nomads and um so they don't really need the the trappings of modern life like they don't need a driver's license or whatever imagine going down to the dmv with
0: the mask on that that's not gonna fly for anybody but again you just pointed out they don't need it so why is this even a concern right it seems like a lot of the things that you're bringing up are very much like capitalist society type things like you need to be able to get on a plane. You need to have a driver's license. And like, no, you don't. You don't need either of those things. Certainly, Frank does not. Right. Well, yeah, Frank doesn't. Yeah. So,
1: so like, I don't know. That's just that's just my stance on the on the old uh, Frank's. I'm assuming it's his father. Um, his yeah. stance on it's like you could. You, it doesn't help to pander to it, and I'm on a fine line there. Where like you should, you should to a degree pander to it, if it if it makes his life any better. On the other hand, like, as a father, you really should be preparing your kid for the worst.
0: Yes, but it just doesn't feel like there's any way we can spin this where it's like, no, he really needs to be able like, I guess if there's some sort of, like, a terrorist threat and the guy's wearing a papier-mâché head and now it looks like it's Frank or something like that, but that seems like a really unlikely scenario. You gotta take your mask off, Frank, so we can prove it's not a the terrorist.
1: There's no real-life correlation here where, like, I, I can't pull up a story of some dude that's like, oh, yeah, I, uh, I've got a certificate that says that the picture on my passport of me in a mask is good enough for me to
0: get on a plane. Frank Sidebottom. Frank Sidebottom lived with that. Frank Sidebottom. The guy who played the character of Frank in real life. Yeah? Yes. Oh, okay. He would wear it, like, Everywhere. all the time. All yeah, the time. He it was, it was, like, part of his shtick. I don't think that he had, like, a mental health thing, and maybe he did, I'm not sure, but he did express a lot that, like, playing this character the way that he did, where it was, like, a method acting kind of thing, did persuade... Pers- present like certain difficulties but like most people were okay with it apparently okay i mean i'm not worried about people being offended by the mask just the logistics of it well i mean I, if you get onto a plane and like everybody just agrees that this is fine then there isn't a problem they can just do that like the, i mean yeah they, they can they can just do that there's actually very few problems that aren't solved by everybody being present just being cool like if everybody in any given problem everybody present is just like actually i'm gonna chill and just allow this to be okay Most problems were solved with that. (laughs) I don't know if... I I do think that any time we say, like, this should be done absolutely, that's a bad idea. You know, like, we should absolutely pander to him in every single way and just, you know, coddle him to the best of our ability.
1: Yeah, I think that was the point I was trying to... Like, I don't know where that line is. Like, where the line to be crossed is. But I definitely don't think pandering fully or John's take of,
0: like, take the fucking mask off. Like, definitely neither of those are correct. Yeah. I think that, uh, anytime we go too extreme in any direction, there is a very strong probability of evil. So like we need to have a light touch with everything that we do and try to like find that happy medium of, yeah, people should do whatever they want to be happy, but you shouldn't ignore your doctor's advice to lose weight because you feel happy when you're eating pizza. Of course you feel happy when you're eating pizza. It's fucking pizza. It's made of all the happy foods. Right. So, like, the doctor's telling you you'll be happier if you just live longer and in better health the entire time you're alive. Statistically, being alive longer
1: means more happy.
0: Some, yeah, sometimes. And, like, the argument can be made against that, too, I'm sure. Right. But, like and, like, and I don't think any doctors are ever going around saying, like, you absolutely can't have pizza no matter how they prepare it or what you change about it or what you do. It'll always just kill you immediately. The moment you have one slice, you're just dead. Right. I don't think any doctor has ever said that ever. I definitely think that there's certain times where by the book doctor, he doesn't work. So, okay. Yeah. That's that's my, um, yeah. And that's another example of if we go too far into the extreme. Right. So, and, and maybe I'm completely false here and I'm willing to be completely
1: false on this, but like, so my grams not doing great and they gave her like however long to live. And they said, and also you should probably stop drinking, stop smoking. If somebody told me I had a year to live, stop drinking, stop smoking would not be on my list of shit to do. Like, that... Not at all. Not at all. Not even a little bit. If they're like, you have exactly one year. A year from today, you will be dead. Also, probably stop drinking so you can have a healthier year. No. Nope. Not at all. All year,
0: I will be blasted. you probably turn that year into a couple months.
1: I mean, very, very likely. For sure. <laughs> for sure. I mean, I just... God, like... You're gonna have to cut all this out, but I just... For reference. Like she's dealing with like cancer whatever and they're like we're not gonna do the chemo thing because you have a year we're not gonna make you sick for your final year of life that's fair and then to turn around and say like and no more drinking no more sweat like yeah no If you you tell me i have x amount of time left i'm going out doing whatever i damn well please personally
0: for the record, I can tell you right now that you have X amount of time left. Uh, might not be hellishly accurate, but it is a limited amount of
1: time. If you t- Tell me I have a year right now, Dr. Caleb. <laughs> and uh, and we'll just go to town the rest
0: of the night. Just go to town drinking and smoking and fucking. <laughs> yeah, and fucking. And fucking. <laughs> well, you know, That's right what to they
1: told it. her. They said, sorry, Graham's no more fucking. And she said, hell
0: no. Wait, is that no fucking? <laughs> no. Usually usually doctors are pretty on board with fucking it's light cardio it doesn't really hurt anything you have to have like specific issues for them to be like no no no, please stop fucking (laughs) and I think that if a doctor is telling you please stop fucking because fucking is healthy for you specifically oh yeah if a doctor is telling you to stop fucking probably listen to that even if it's like you know uh, fuck you Dr. Yeah, I'm spending the rest of my days fucking I'm gonna fuck right now so I think that's gonna be it for us Uh, I, I feel like this was a pretty good one for the books